Welcome to the official It's All Dead podcast. The music is dead. Long live the music. Welcome to the official It's All Dead podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Kyle Hawk, and I am the editor-in-chief at a website called It's All Dead. Joining me is senior editor Kyle Schultz, uh, all the way up in chilly, brisk, windy Chicago. Hi, Kyle. You. How you doing? Not too bad. How are you, buddy? Not too bad. It's been a while since we've done one of these. Uh and I feel like it's always a, uh, it's like a class reunion when we get back together and do another podcast. Um, <laughs> just getting the old band back together. Um, Kyle and I essentially run a website, a music website called It's All Dead, which you can visit by going to itsalldead.com. And we write about music that we like. And um, one thing that we really, I, I've found fun, and it seems that people that listen to the podcast enjoy is when we do these sort of themed podcast breakdowns of a particular band. And we've done several of them now. Uh, we've done Fallout Boy. Um, I'm trying to remember who all has been a part of this, but we do these podcasts where we essentially break down, the, we rank the band's albums and then list our, our favorite songs from the band. Um, and I don't know, each time we do this call, I feel like I end up reflecting a lot on the band in different ways than I have in, in years. Like every time we've done this, I've discovered mm -hmm. things that I, I'd totally forgotten about the band in question. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's just one of those things that like you kind of take it for granted until you're actually forced to kind of sit and wonder what it is that actually makes that band special to you. Yeah. And it's, it's cool to kind of revisit the catalog. Like for the past few days, I've been listening to a lot of Panic of the Disco, which is the band that we are discussing today. Um, and it's crazy how much I forget about the way songs connect with me. Uh, maybe just because I haven't played them for a while. Um, but it's I, I think this will be a really interesting discussion. I'm looking forward to it. Um, and we're going to get into some of this here in just a few minutes. But since we haven't uh, done a podcast in a while, I thought it'd be cool to kind of do a check in and ask, uh, what have you been listening to lately? What's what's been uh, what have you been spinning I, weirdly enough, almost exclusively, it's been Blink-182 and a Plus 44 for like the last month or so. Wow. I'm, I'm just so excited to see the new uh, Blink album coming out, and I haven't really delved into them for a, a long time, and uh, it's just one of the, they're the first band I really got into, and it's just weird going back and just listening to them nonstop again. It's really taking me back to my childhood. Yeah, I feel like each time we talk about them, there's a different album that's resonating with either one of us. Has there been a, a certain album that has really been hitting you hard as you've been listening to them lately? Um, on a, Weirdly enough, it's uh, the Mark, Tom, and Travis show. Uh, out of everything, it's just it's my favorite live album I've ever heard. And just uh, getting to hear especially Mark and Tom back in happier days just riffing off each other is so much fun. It's a. Uh, it really is a different time compared to you know where the band's at now. Yeah. So do you feel like you're emotionally prepared now for the post Tom era? I think it was like a year ago that we did the sad boohoo Tom's leaving the band podcast. It really wasn't that much boohoo for me. I think. I, I think if I maybe it was a little bit more because it kind of seemed like it might be the end of the band. But if I'd known then what I know now about Matt Skiba joining the band and what would happen with that, I probably would have been a lot more. Uh, hopeful about the future. Yeah, well, I, th I think back in the a uh, year ago, you know, when it all kind of went down, no one knew what was happening. It was just like, well, Tom's out, Matt's in, 
no one knows how we're going to get the rights to all the songs that Tom wrote to yeah. uh, play live, et cetera, et cetera. Are we making a new album? Oh, who knows? Tee hee hee. And <laughs> everything's really come together in the last few months. And uh, just the idea that they're prepping for a release and they're super stoked about it has mm-hmm. me uh, beyond excited. Yeah, it is exciting. I'm excited to see what comes out of it. I think everybody is. I've heard some rumors about a, a big tour uh, once the album is set to drop. With I, it's a crazy like, what does it mean when people say things on the internet? But I, it's all conjecture. But it, somebody was dropping rumors of a Blink One Eighty Two a Day to Remember tour, which seems crazy to me. Like in a way that would work, but in another way, I, I can't see that happening. Um, but whatever the case, I'm ready for new music and and whatever comes with it. Um, oh, yeah. so yeah, for me lately, I've been listening to the 1975 a lot, <laughs> um, their new Lovely. album. Um, I like it when you sleep for you were so beautiful yet so unaware of it, uh, an appropriately ridiculously long song title based on the conversation about the band we're talking about tonight. But, um, yeah, the, the new 1975 album is just incredible. I reviewed it for the site a couple of weeks ago and it came out and I feel like it's only getting better as I listen to it, which I love that. Because uh, sometimes you yeah. listen to it enough where you feel like you've it's done as much for you as it can in the short amount of time you need to write the review about it. But then there's those albums that just keep getting better as you listen to them. Um, and that's feel mm-hmm. I kind of feel like you know how great an album is at that point. Um, but I don't know. I've been loving it. Have you listened to them at all? No. Um, I've only heard a few of the singles a couple of years ago, but I've never really uh, like gone through an album before. Yeah, it's like a whole new band now. Um, I really recommend the new album it's it's an early front runner for me for album of the year um obviously there's a lot of time left but (laughs) but it's really good (laughs) so yeah yeah the only other thing i've been uh holding out for is uh brian fallon's solo album which actually Mm. comes out tomorrow uh i've been listening to the singles a lot in the last few weeks and i'm really excited for what this is going to be nice yeah, you you in particular have a lot to look forward to this year in terms of new music. Um, I feel like with potentially AFI, but we know Black Audio is doing a, a new album for sure, um, and yes. then Blink One Eighty Two, of course. It just feels like a lot of heavy hitters for you could potentially be teeing off in twenty sixteen. Oh my god, this is my <laughs> year. Black Audio, uh, Davy Havoc's other side project with the members of No Doubt, AFI are writing an album allegedly. Blink One Eighty Two. Uh, Green Day is apparently putting one out. It's just about time for Newfound Glory to start getting back in the studio. Yeah. Saves the Day is in the studio. There's rumors of two tongues coming out. You know, it's just, I I couldn't be more excited about anything. <laughs> and on top of all of this, the world still has yet to hear your thoughts about the Say Anything album. So we may have to get into that at the end of the podcast if we have time. Because a, a Say Anything album came out too. Um, which was a really weird yeah. album. I, I've only listened to it like the one time on the day it came out. So <laughs> uh, the weird thing is, I totally thought I wrote a review for that, and then like four weeks later, I realized I really, really did not do that. <laughs> <laughs> you wrote it in your head in your sleep. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> well, uh, today we are talking about Panic at the Disco, and this is a an album. I I don't think I'm speaking out of turn when I say that or a band that's been really important for both you and I, and a band that we've both followed for better or for worse uh, through the course of their career. Um, They, they came out uh, near the end of my uh, time in college and I, I was rubbed the wrong way by them. I think early on just because 
they they became big almost instantly. I mean, they literally came out of nowhere and exploded onto the scene. I mean, the the rumor was that Pete Wentz signed them. You know, they'd only written like two songs. They'd put on MySpace, and he signed them before they'd even played a show. Um, and they took off fast and went from like opening for a band like the Academy is and Cartel. I'm trying to remember who all was on that tour to, you know, by the end of the well, tour, know, headlining. Well, I know at one point they were touring with the Academy is uh, and Hello Goodbye. And yeah, I tried it. desperately to get tickets for that show for uh, a few different cities and it was sold out everywhere I went. Yeah. So what was your first reaction to the band? I mean, you, you were you in love with them immediately? Pretty much. Um, well, the weird thing is they came out my freshman year of uh, college, and I was in a weird place, and I just kind of ran. My story with them is I used to just wander Best Buy and just grab CDs whose uh, uh, album covers I thought looked cool, yeah. and I just happened to stumble upon them and grab them and – it was just an immediate reaction to uh, everything I loved at the time, because they they came out just after Fall Out Boy had gotten big, uh, it, the era of like, you know, the choir boys leading the mm-hmm. band was starting to pick up for like Cartel and the Academy is where it was just an amazing singer, and uh, you know it was also the point where emo was really big and electronica was starting to take off for a lot of these bands and. Uh, Panic at the Disco really put everything together, and it was just a perfect mesh for everything of that specific time, and uh, it really launched them beyond anything I would have ever imagined. Yeah, it really was a, a special time. You think about Fall Out Boy blowing up, uh, Panic at the Disco, The Academy Is, Cartel. It was just a time where a ton of bands were like coming into the spotlight, and Panic at the Disco was one of the bigger ones. And they've they've had a fascinating career, and we'll talk about it more in depth as we kind of work through our favorite. Uh, albums and songs but this is a band who two album i mean they put out this incredible debut album they follow it up with a solo album that sounds absolutely nothing like the debut in almost any way shape or fashion and then they go through a nasty breakup in which the primary songwriter leaves the band and somehow still go on and and gain even more success um it's almost improbable to think that this band which now consists solely of brendan urie the lead singer uh just had their first ever uh uh, number one debut on the on the billboard charts with the release of the new album uh it's just crazy to me to think how this band is sustained through so much yeah they all things considered it should not still be a band uh by any yeah. means <laughs> yeah it's it's uh it's kind of it's been a crazy ride and we're going to uh, talk a little bit about some of our f- favorite music of theirs. And, you know, as I mentioned before, I wasn't really into the band right at the start, um, but they did win me over. And you're going to have to listen to a little bit later in the podcast to find out how and why that happened. So it's a little... Oh, snap, mister. Yeah, little teaser to keep you tuned in <laughs> with us. Um, so let's go ahead and start off by just going through this. We realize if you haven't listened to us do these this particular type of podcast before, Please know that this is all completely subjective. We're not making any sweeping statements of anything. We're just two guys that love music and we're making lists of things. So we're going to rank the Panic of the Disco albums. Our opinion means very little here. It's just a fun discussion to have. So uh, please feel free to to join in the revelry, uh, if you will, as opposed to being angry. Although, you know, if you disagree, that's totally cool. That's, That's what we hope. The idea would be to all have a discussion about it. So... Uh, to kick things off, why don't you run through just your rankings of the albums and why you placed them there? 
my mine are pretty quick. Uh, the one I dislike the most is Too Weird to Live, Too Rare to Die. It, it's been out for a few years now, and I've still yet to actually be able to sit through the entire thing without just shutting it off. And mm -hmm. I, I just I don't like it. There's a few songs that are okay. I can't even tell you what the titles of those are. It's just, you know, I've, I've tried it a few times. It's just, it's not my album. And yeah. Panic's one of those bands that each album they put out is something different, and that one just wasn't for me. Sure. Um, Next up is Death of a Bachelor, which is the newest one. And I like it. It's a kind of a return to form to, uh, you know, some of their older material with a lot more focus on rock. But there's also a weird focus on like Sinatra-style big band thrown into it, which is a really good idea, and it would be a much, much, much better album if the entire theme of the album wasn't just Brendan Urie getting fucked up on uh, alcohol and, <laughs> oh, party life. Yeah. It's just, there's some very good songs on there, but by the time, when you get to the point where you're checking off where each song, there's a reference to some new type of like, Oh, gin. Oh, vodka. Blah, blah, blah. And you're just making a rundown list through the songs. Like, yeah, well, he mentioned that. Mentioned that. I'm done. And I'm an alcoholic, so fuck that. <laughs> I, I just want to jump in here and say that uh, you wrote a really great review of this album that I absolutely loved. That's at our site. Um, it's all dead.com. That if you're listening to this, you should go check out the review because I, I think you hit the nail on the head with that album. But anyway, proceed. Oh, uh, thank you. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know where you rank your thing, and I believe this is the point where we're going to disagree. For me, the album I like third best is uh, actually their debut, A Fever You Whoa. Can't Sweat Out. Whoa! Yeah, I was right? not expecting that at all. Whoa! Twist! No, um, <laughs> for me, it, it's an amazing album. It's a classic, but for at least for my taste, I can tell that it's dated a little bit. Like, it's one of those things that if it came out today... The songs still hold up, but it definitely feels it for me. It's just a certain place in time that's never going to happen again. And I can maybe it's just how much it meant to me back in the day, but it's aged to the point where it's almost like one of those bands where you go back and you listen through the discography, and so much has happened since then that it you almost get tired going back and listening to the first albums again. Hmm. Um, mm. but that said, every song on it is a classic. Like I wouldn't remove a single thing off of it. Uh, my second favorite is actually pretty odd, which is another one. No one saw coming. And for yeah. me, uh, it's a very good album when it came out. I really didn't like it at all. And it's one of those things that it took so long to really catch up to what they were trying to put out, uh, at the time. And for what it is, it's a it's an amazing album. I think their big problem with that is that they tried too hard at the time and didn't put it out as a side project, uh, yeah. which probably would have saved it immensely. And uh, my favorite album is actually Vices and Virtues, which is the mo one of the most amazing comeback stories in all of music. Yeah, it's a uh, you know the band is split, the primary songwriter's gone, Brendan Urie and uh, Spencer are just alone and Brendan teaches himself how to play every instrument, how to write lyrics, how to, you know, basically write a song alone. And not only does he pull it off, he brings back the charm that made the band uh, memorable in the first place, really does a nice mesh of everything they'd done prior to that and just takes it off to amazing new directions that he's split off from since then. And, uh, 
it's just one of those albums that it blew me away when it came out and just when you realize how much went into that to really pick the band back up from rock bottom it uh it just adds to the flavor for me yeah well i i gotta say you did surprise me i was almost worried that our lists were going to be too similar in that way but uh and they are similar in a lot of ways, but a, a fever you can't sweat out. Dropping a number three is a shocker, um, and that's that's totally fine, Kyle. It's your opinion. Um, you're wrong, but no, I'm just we're gonna kidding. fight. Aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, no, that was really that was a really, <laughs> that was a really great breakdown. Um, the bottom of my list is pretty similar, just flip flopped. Uh, number five is Death of a Bachelor. And, you know, it's still pretty fresh, so who knows? It could grow on me, but I, I had the same problems with it you did where I I get that it's a concept album or whatever, but some of it is just too much. Um, I, I remember listening to it for the first time. I was sitting at work while I was listening, and the, the line, he has a line, I think, in the second song of, I'm not as thick as you drunk I am or whatever. And I, I audibly out loud said, what? Like, and I almost just stopped right there <laughs> because it was just it was too much. There's too much of that. Uh, and like I said, yeah. you, you've said it perfectly. There's really not much more to break it down. There's some really fun pop songs in there, but man, it's it's tedious uh, to listen to the content for me. Um, the only way it would really work as a con, it, he tried it as a concept album, and he failed. I feel mostly because there's no build to it. it the entire yeah. thing is just I'm drunk, I'm drunk, I'm drunk, and then the last song is just kind of an oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. There's no real ebb or flow to it. It's just kind of all in of look how crazy I can be. Look how far I'm pushing the limit. But you're actually not pushing the limit because uh, anybody can, you know, purposefully it, be a jackass a on a song. So yeah. <laughs> uh, number four for me is Too Weird to Live and Too Rare to Die. And this is an album, like Death of a Bachelor, I have strong feelings about a lot of times. Too Weird to Live, Too Weird, or Too Weird to Live, Too Rare to Die, I really don't feel anything much at all about it um there are a couple good songs on it i can listen to like the first half but like you i, I rarely listen to the full thing it's kind of a it's kind of a throwaway for me it's it's kind of the the black mark i think for for them musically uh mm -hmm. three for me is pretty odd um it's an album that i loved at the start but i, I can't tell it's been so long since it came out. I almost feel like I was loving it so hard because it was like against the grain of what everybody was doing. Cause it, it was, yeah. it's hard to imagine how shocking it was for this band to put that album out as their second album. Like we forget, like that was a big deal. I mean, it was so weird and such a, such a chance to take by doing that. And some, and the fact that they weathered that storm, it's not a bad album, but to do what they did and make mm. such a completely different sounding album at the height of their initial popularity was just like playing with fire. And uh, I, I think it was a Ryan Ross album. I don't think there's any question that he, especially when you listen to his, his later band, the young veins, I think it was clear that that was uh, the direction of that album was taken very strongly uh, by him. But there are some really good songs on it. I was going back and listening to it this week as we were preparing and kind of having some memories. I haven't listened to it in a long time, but uh, I was remembering there's some really good songs on there. Uh, number two for me is Vices and Virtues. And this is one I, you know, I was glad to hear you put it at number one because I think it's a really underrated album. I think it's the most underrated album in their discography. Um, and I think it's the one that maybe di didn't even do as well as the others. Um, and you talk about a comeback story. Yeah. This was the first time Brendan had ever written lyrics and melodies and all this stuff like he wrote that album and it was such a big deal for him 
um, I remember I, I was fortunate enough to interview him uh, at the time this album came out and got to hear him talk a little bit about the process and how terrifying and exciting it was to take that role as kind of the lead man in this band. And I, I feel like he nailed it completely. Those songs are so full of beautiful uh, melodies and it felt like a it felt like dipping the toe back in the water of the debut while still sounding like completely new and fresh and uh it's an album i could put on any time in love and then number one for me is a fever you can't sweat out i think it's most people's favorites um i totally understand what you're saying i i feel like though that if it did come out today it would still be just as big as it was it is so full of different sounds the way it shifts from like sort of this dancey pop punk to this like throwback you know, traditional standard pop stuff with horns. It's like, it's crazy to me what they were able to do when they were only like 17, 18 years old. And they were able to write an album of that magnitude musically. But then lyrically, Ryan Ross is like talking about stuff that kids that age shouldn't even have to deal with. But it's from the perspective of kids growing up in broken homes in Las Vegas and witnessing just like the Mm -hmm. debauchery around them. And I guess conveying that in a way that most like grown adults wouldn't be able to. I'm constantly fascinated to listen to it and think like, wow, like when I was 17 or 18, I would not be able to process stuff the way that they're doing on this album. And it's, it's still incredible to me to go back and hear it. Yeah. So that's my list. Yeah. That's a, that's a nice list. (laughs) Hey, thanks. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I, I think it's pretty nice. Um, we, uh, so in addition so that part actually wasn't that hard for me. Ranking the albums, I, I did pretty quickly. The songs, uh, as I was telling you earlier today, like just it was so hard because I was going through and picking out like songs from each album. and I wanted to do 10 and I ended up with like 18 or 19 songs to start with. And it was so hard to cut everything down. And there are, song, there are three albums on my list that only have one song. Um, which was hard because it's like, how do you pick just the one song from each of these albums? But um, it, it was very, very difficult. I, what was the process like for you? Did you find I, I I think I was just stunned that they had so many more songs I liked than I realized. Yeah, well, for me, it was mostly uh, you can just point at any of the track listing for Fever to uh, You Can't Sweat Out. And I would just be like, yeah, that's at the top of the list. And then, uh, you know, Pretty Odd, I was going through and. There's a lot of songs in there I really like, but there's only a few that really, really stand out. And then you get to Vices and Virtues, and I had the same problem. It's like, yeah, basically any of these are, uh, you know, right up at the top. And then you get to Tour to uh, Live and Death of a Bachelor, and I was like, eh, I guess I'll give it that one. <laughs> yeah. I uh, So I'll, I'll go ahead. I'll do my list first, and then you can do yours. Um, I... Fair enough. See, I, the hard part is I'm going to do this, and then I feel like I put a song from every album just so I could do that. But yeah, I don't listen to those some of these songs as much as I listen to others. But regardless, I'm just going to burn through this. Uh, the funny thing is like how much you have to type and making a list of their songs because there are so many. There's especially early on, their song titles are so damn long. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's ridiculous. They were definitely a part of that whole uh, that trend happening. Um, okay, here we go. Number 10 for me was Northern Downpour, and it's the only song from Pretty Odd on the list. Um, This is a song that stands out to me on that album because I think it's really beautiful. Um, It's a very slow song, complete, maybe the most out of character song for them from what we knew from the first album on uh, that album. And I like how both Ryan and uh, Brendan on this album do like harmonies and stuff. And even uh, Ryan Ross sings some of the songs. But Northern Downpour for me is just kind of a, 
a really great example of the potential they had if they wanted to keep going in that direction. Uh, it's a really good song. Number nine is Emperor's New Clothes from Death of a Bachelor. It's the one song on the new album that I really love because his voc- Brendan's vocals are just insane on this song. I mean, the, the, what he's able to do with his voice during the chorus is just stunning. And it's the reason why he's, I think, probably the most talented singer in the scene. He's just He's got such a huge range and he can do such crazy things with melody. Um, so that, that song made the list because of that. And then number eight, the only song from Tour to Live was Miss Jackson. Although I thought about going with A Girl That You Love just because it's kind of a cool, dark vibe of a song. But Miss Jackson is a, is really good too. And I, I think they released that as the first single. When I heard it, I thought this album is going to be huge. And the payoff wasn't really that great because uh, not a lot of the other songs really matched, I guess, the emotion and, and power of that song for me. But uh, it's a lot of fun. So that's those are the bottom three on the top 10 and then it gets into the songs of theirs that i i really love so i you know i, I consider these top seven as being my favorites uh number seven was the ballad of mona lisa uh it's the lead track on vices and virtues and the reason i love it so much is i remember hearing that and feeling falling back in love with panic at the disco again i think by the time vices and virtues came out i was kind of over the pretty odd thing and i was ready for them to kind of do what i wanted them more to do which wasn't necessary to recreate a fever you can't sweat out, but at least take advantage of their strengths. And Balda Mona Lisa just killed it. I mean, it was, uh, it's one of the best songs the band has written. And it's incredible that Brendan was able to just come out, like kick the door down, like with this single of like, Hey, here's me writing these songs. And it's incredible. Um, number six is I write sins, not tragedies. And I struggled with where to place this. I mean, it's a song that every single person knows, like your mom knows this song. Um, and I still think it's a really good song. It's, it's classic Panic of the Disco. It's one of those things you hear it, you remember the time when it was on the radio all the time and it was on MTV. You just, it kind of takes you back. Um, and it's, it's kind of the, I guess, ultimate track on that debut album. Uh, number five was Nails for Breakfast, Tax for Snacks and, um, ridiculous song title, but it's a really cool combination of the old Panic sounds. Uh, it's from that first album. And it's so, again, they're saying so much um, and talking about so, so many things for being so young. But I love that opening chorus line of prescribed pills to offset the shakes, to offset the pills. It's just kind of a, it's a perfect, uh, a perfect line for that song. And it's a lot of fun too. It's like a really great pop song, but it's a lot deeper than you would expect. Um, Number four is, but it's better if you do. And this song just gets me going, man. It's like. I remember feeling like hearing it and thinking like, I didn't know a pop punk could sound like this, I guess. And it's not really that much of a pop punk song, but like with all the horns and it's just, it's an incredibly brave sound for a band to do on their debut, especially after they spent the first half of the album doing like a dance rock thing. Um, It's got that interlude that leads into this. It like splits the album in half um, and leads into this song. And it's, it's so cool. And again, really deep, heavy subject matter, uh, for uh, basically talking about marital infidelity and uh, hear these kids singing about it from the perspective they, they've gained just from growing up. Um, number three is Trade Mistakes from Vices and Virtues. This is one I'm really anxious to hear if it's on your list. Don't spoil it now, but I, I, this song, the melody on this song is incredible. It's one of my favorite choruses of all time. Uh, another song that Brendan just knocked out of the park. Like the, I, what I love about the chorus is that it's not just like a straight standard chorus. It's builds and it has sort of that ending to it that 
adds like another layer. Uh, and I love when courses do that. They give you a little bit something extra and trade mistakes is just perfect. I like, this is a song I turn up in my car and I belt it out as poorly and loudly as I can, because it's just, it's so much fun to sing. Uh, number two is line is the most fun a girl can have without taking her clothes off. Uh, another ridiculous song title. Um, I can't figure out why this song is so high on my list, Kyle. I, I really like it. I like the sound of it. It was one of my favorites from the album when it first came out. Um, and it's just a really cool panic sound. I feel like it's, it's one of the best songs they've written. Uh, I love the testosterone boys and Harlequin girls line. Uh, it's very, it's, it's kind of, I feel like it's the song that kind of got them their emo tag. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, I, well, also on a, an album like Fever You Can't Sweat Out that has so many different distinct sounds on it, uh, that one's possibly the most distinct. It's the quietest and it's the darkest by far. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it really it sticks out on that album uh, in a lot of ways, that I, and I think it's good. Um, so number one for me, and I, as I mentioned, was really annoyed by Panic! The Disco. Like, who are these kids to think they can just come on the scene and be big stars so i was i was openly like bashing them to friends like yeah that band sucks <laughs> and so one day not long after you know i mean it was still right in the thick of that whole thing and i write sins not tragedies was huge and i was in a uh, hot topic and unbeknownst to me they were playing that album in its entirety they just like put the cd on and were playing it and this song came on and my favorite book of all time is a book called Invisible Monsters by Chuck Palahniuk. Um, many know him as the guy that wrote Fight Club, but he wrote a lot of other great books as well. And Invisible Monsters is my favorite. And a song that Panic! The Disco wrote for their debut called Time to Dance is based on the book Invisible Monsters. And it's apparently the first song the band ever wrote. And so all of the lyrics are about the, the story of that book. And not only that, but the song just caught my ear. And I was like, oh my God, this song's about this book I love so much. And it turned out it was panic of the disco. And I remember walking around hot topic being like, damn it, I'm going to have to like this band now. <laughs> like I lit, I bought the band in secret. I didn't tell any of my friends about it. I tried to hide it for a while because I was so embarrassed that I had fallen in love with the band after I'd bashed them to like everybody I knew. <laughs> um, so that was a really funny thing that happened, but this song is so great. It's got like, if you've read the book, it is like, it's got so many like catchy lines of the, like opening with she's not bleeding on the ballroom floor just for the attention. I remember hearing that in the store and being like, what? This is about this book and have some composure. Where's your posture? You're pulling the trigger all wrong. It's, it's perfect. It is, it is one of my favorite songs by them. And it's one of my favorite songs of all time. I still, uh, it's, it is absolutely, if I'm going to listen to Panic! The Disco for just a song, it is the absolute first song I reach for. So those are my favorite songs by Panic! The Disco. And now I'm out of breath. So you talk. I yeah, I actually did not know about that about uh, Time to Dance. So that's fun. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, for me, um, I don't even know if these are in the correct order, so I'm just going to go down the order I wrote them down in. Okay. Uh, number 10 is Golden Days off of uh, Death of a Bachelor. And mm -hmm. for me, I think that one, it's Brennan Urie's best vocals he's ever done. It's just uh, the way the bass and the guitar work just kind of dance around before jumping into the chorus and... Uh, the way Yuri's vocals just, you know, he kind of plays with it. And then when he just starts shouting golden days, there's just a, as much as I can rag on the album, there's a magic to the way he can uh, sing that. Yeah. Uh, number nine is beyond or behind the sea from pretty odd. Ooh. Uh, it's actually a Ryan Ross song. Yep. And 
it's just a slow, cheery, uh, Beatles-esque song, and it's one of those that it really defines that album for me and what they're going for, and it's it's just amazing, and it makes me sad that we don't really get to see, you know, how that would have played out had the band really stuck together because they had a nice mix of, you know, the dark and emo, and then they found this weird Beatles hybrid, right. and I. Uh, it was very jarring to the system, but there was something beautiful to it, and uh, I think that Behind the Sea really kind of uh, plays off that in one of the best ways. Um, number eight would be Trade Mistakes, which uh, you've yeah. already mentioned, and it's just part of the middle of uh, Vices, and Virtue, Vices and Virtues, ugh, my stupid voice, where there's like four or five songs in a row that just, it seems like they get progressively better yeah. uh, as you listen to the album. And just each one could be its own single, and it just builds off each other all the way to the end. Number seven is actually That Green Gentleman from Pretty Odd. Mm. And I think it's a perfect pop song. It's just, the guitar work is fantastic. The hooks are good. It's slow, but it's not too slow. Uh, it's just, it's instantly memorable. And it's just... Uh, I think had they led that song as a lead single from Pretty Odd rather than uh, Nine in the Afternoon, it, the album might have been seen a little more favorably. Yeah, I, I just want to jump in right now and say that was that was number 11 on my list. That was the first one that got chopped down. And I, I think you're totally right. The The opening of that song is so, so perfect. Like it's it's one of the best opening moments of a song I can think of. Mm hmm. Number six, I guess. I don't know. Uh, there's a good reason these tables are numbered, honey. You just haven't thought of it yet. <laughs> it, it's just one of the songs in the back half of uh, Fever that it jumps back. They get rid of the electronic element almost entirely and go to like a vaudevillian style uh, sound. And it's just a fantastic dance song. And it's just so different from anything you'd ever expect from uh, you know, pop punk or even a band that starts off the first half of the album with, uh, you know, electronic sounds. Right. Uh, number five for me is the only difference between martyrdom and suicide is press coverage. And part of that is just, it's the first song that I heard from them. Uh, mm -hmm. It's the first real song on Fever and just the power behind it is so good. Uh, just the you know, the guitar work, the way that uh, Brendan's singing, how he's the narrator, get ready, this is just the introduction, and just the commanding of, you know, sit tight, I'm going to need you to keep time, come on, just snap, snap, snap your fingers for me. Just the way he engages with you getting into it, it really draws you in in a way that, like, most songs don't and most albums can't right off the bat. Yeah, that album, like, opens up with them uh, basically, like, spitting in everybody's face. Like, screw you, we are about to be the biggest band in the world. Like, I love that. Pretty much. And then not only did they, uh, you know, back that up with what happened, but they've stayed there. Yeah. Uh, number four is I Write Sins, Not Tragedies. And it's just, it's it's such a good song. There's a reason it became, you know, a smash single. And it's still, you know, the one they're known the most for. It's just... Uh, a super powerful chorus, just the dark melody leading into it, just the way the song starts off, it's just a little plink of uh, the violin. Mm -hmm. It's just, it really defined what that album was in all the best ways, and it didn't even, it was one of the first songs on the back half of the album that didn't have uh, a major electronic element like 
the rest of the album before it had. Right. Uh, number three for me is Sarah Smiles from Vices and Virtues. Hmm. And uh, for me, it's a really almost perfect pop song. The way it mixes, uh, you know, like a dark dance beat from Fever, the way it has the uh, simple melodies from Pretty Odd, it just blends those two uh, albums together to really make a hybrid that really, uh, for me, kind of defines what the band had been going for up to that point. It's just, it's a weird love song. It has, you know, 60s-esque gang vocals, uh, amazing drumming. The entire thing is just fantastic, and I, it's been one of my favorite songs since the album came out. Yeah. Um, number two for me is But It's Better If You Do. And uh, like you said uh, earlier, the entire first half of Fever is just, you know, electronic dance album. There's the interlude, and then this thing pops up, and it's just, you know vaudeville piano there's trumpets it just sounds like something that would be on the stage in the 50s in las vegas and it just hits you out of nowhere but it's such a good rock song yeah like it just doesn't seem like it should exist yeah <laughs> and uh number one for me is actually hurricane from vices and virtues oh wow i i out of the entire discography of panic at the, Dis at the disco and the fact i've been listening to them for easily over 10 years now and vices and virtues has only been out for less than half that hurricane's a song i've listened to the most by far wow it's a it's a per, like it's a perfect dance song there's a sexy bass thumping to it which uh, i believe brendan yuri is playing it doesn't really matter it's just it's a good bass it's simple but it just thumps along and it blasts through the uh chorus in a way that's really not uh you know prominent in a lot of songs mm -hmm. uh Spencer's drumming is just amazing, and the power behind it, and just like the uh, shakeups as they, they go from chorus to verse, and then the bridge, like halfway to the back, I, uh, you know, and then the chorus itself is just such a good rock song. It's uh, and then the build up towards the end of just you'll dance to anything, and the subtle use of trumpets yeah. thrown in there. It's just it's a nice callback to everything they've ever uh, released up to that point, and I will never get tired of this. Ever. <laughs> yeah, it is a really great song. That's a good list. Um, I, I feel like we both had a really good mix of stuff in there from all of it. I mean, we we had a few overlaps, but by and large, we had a lot of different songs, which kind of speaks to how vast and varied their discography is. Um, and one thing that's clear as we've talked about all this is how how incredible uh, Brendan Urie is. Um, he he has the it factor, the wow factor, whatever it is. Um, he is extremely talented. Uh, if you've never gotten the chance to see him live, it's something you have to do because I think that he's one of the best live performers in this scene. Um, I don't know if you would agree with that, but I, I think every time I've seen him, I've just been amazed by his stage presence. He's just, he, he acts and carries himself like a star, like he's the best singer in the world and he backs it up. I, I can't, uh, agree with that too much. I've only seen them once, and it was two weeks after Ryan Ross uh, left the band. It, they were uh, opening with Fall Out Boy for the Blink-22 reunion tour in oh, Indianapolis. Yeah. And it was within two to three weeks of uh, the band splitting, and they were still in the pretty odd phase. It was you know a couple years before Vices and Virtues came out. And while they, they sounded amazing, uh, Brendan was just in a suit and tie on stage, just slowly walking back and forth singing. And 
up to that point, like I hadn't gotten a chance to see them and just all the stories of how, you know, when they first started touring, there's a circus act in the background, just stilts and all this weird yeah. shit. And then just to see this not taking control of the stage, just slowly going back and forth, crooning, it was, uh, they sounded fantastic, but I was disappointed in them. And um, I haven't gotten a chance to see them since then, but all the photos I've seen and like live videos I've seen are just insane now <laughs> yeah you've got to see them now i the i saw them right after vices and virtues came out and brendan it was like he was just on fire like he was out to prove something and i think ever since then he's taken it to another level um I, and i think that's part of the whole kind of narrative of the band i mean ryan ross was the guy he kind of called the shots he wrote the songs uh brendan was the singer and once that whole split happened, I think it kind of brought something out in Brendan where it was like do or die, sink or swim. And he he had to do it and he did it. Um, and I, I think maybe even he didn't realize how how much talent he had um, until that point. And I think it's pretty clear now uh, to see, you know, what they've been able to do that he's he's going to be around for a while. Um, that's what I feel. You know, we always talk after we do these, like what's going to be the legacy of the band um, I think people are going to remember Panic at the Disco. I, I think Brendan is always going to be around in some fashion or another. Um, but I, I, one thing I don't think is that we'll see another band explode from this scene quite like they did. Um, I think I, I just feel like a fever you can't sweat out was lightning in a bottle in the most literal way that you could imagine. Uh, and I, I just can't imagine another band coming out like that again and blowing us off our feet like that. Well, no. Well, the thing that really helped them was when it came out, they went all in with it. Like any photo you saw of them, they're decked out in a weird, intricate makeup, like with yeah. stars around their eyes and uh, stuff. They're in intricate costumes. They re were really playing up the uh, emo motif, but they added a weird, um, you know, almost glam factor to it that yeah. other bands just weren't doing. And even amongst you know, an era in rock music where everyone was just, you know, wearing lipstick and looking sad, they stood out immensely. And then mm -hmm. uh, you just hear stories of their live shows where they put on an actual show with the concert. And uh, the few people I did know who did go see them said, like, you could definitely tell it was their first outing. Like, they sounded a little too raw and, uh, you know, they weren't matching up the way you'd expect, but everything going on behind them made up for it. Yeah. And uh, everyone who came away was just immensely impressed. And, you know, just the fact that they went all in, they did so much to, uh, you know, really throw themselves to the top of the scene, even though they might not have had the talent to do it, you know, in a live setting at the time. Uh, it's just as incredibly impressive. They were the perfect band for the in the perfect time. Like for yes. that that time period, it was the perfect thing to happen, and they just happened to be that band. Um, and it's uh, it's been been kind of fun to watch where it's gone from there. Um, even, and even though I'm not that crazy about death of a bachelor, I'm still, you know, will always be interested in hearing the next panic of the disco album. So, um, yeah. a lot of good music. Well, well, that's the other thing that made a pretty odd, such a weird choice because it was such a departure. It, it's one thing to, you know, you know, change, alter your sound slightly so you don't redo, uh, you know, the same style each yeah. album, but in order to progress as a band, you need to be able to, you know, at least relate to your past work to the audience. And uh, they did too much of a jump for that. And it almost threw the entire band off course uh, entirely. 
and I feel like had they done had they put out a rock album and then this one as a side project or something else, it would have uh, really changed their fortunes and maybe for the better. Um, because, you know, the trouble they had with that really saw the departure of Ross. And that actually makes me sad because Ryan Ross is a talented songwriter and yeah. a talented singer. And it's just sad that he's not really doing much anymore. Yeah, he's he's kind of disappeared. And I agree. It is it is a bummer. Um, and it is, it's strange. I just like, well, I don't know if we'll ever see something quite like them again. I don't think we'll ever see something quite like pretty odd again, because the stakes being as high as they were for the second album to do what they did. And somebody would already have to be at that level after their debut. It's just hard to imagine another situation playing out like that. But I, I'll tell you, it's incredible again, that they, they made it through that. And pretty odd is not a bad album. We've both talked about the the merits of it. It's just interesting. It was such a departure. Um, but like nine in the afternoon, even like, fortunately for them, that song was getting played everywhere. There was like that viral video of a bunch of celebrities, like lip syncing the song and stuff. Like there were so many things that carried them through what could have been a disaster, um, and actually made them come out looking halfway cool for it. Even if people were kind of frustrated, they abandoned their sound. Uh, There's just a lot of, it, it was, uh, I guess, you know, to be lame, it was pretty odd, uh, the way the whole thing kind of played out. <laughs> I know that was so bad, well, but I couldn't think of any other way to describe it. No, it's just, it's it was such a departure that the first song on the album, they the lyrics actually had to reassure fans that they're still yeah. the same band. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that was so weird. Like, I do it's, feel like when you go to that length, like maybe you're doing something slightly wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's such a weird thing to do. Um, yeah, they made it. They're still around, or at least one of them is, Brendan Urie. Um, and I guess that'll wrap up our conversation for Panic at the Disco. Um, but it's not the end, um, because we have a website called It's All Dead. Go to itsalldead.com. You can listen to our other podcasts. Uh, you can read articles we write um, and let us know how we're doing. And of course, if you like what you hear for this podcast, please subscribe. Uh, pull up the iTunes app on your home computer or the podcast app on your smartphone. Search It's All Dead. Uh, hit the subscribe button and then leave us a review and uh, tell us how we're doing. Give give Kyle a boost. Tell him, man, Kyle Schultz, you're the best. Um, so yeah, that's that. Please do. I'm very sad. <laughs> I am too, man. Um, Kyle, thank you. <laughs> Kyle, thanks for joining, as always, uh, to talk about music. Appreciate it, bud. Thank you for having me. That's going to do it. Uh, we will catch you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the official It's All Dead podcast. You can download our podcast at iTunes and find exclusive music news and content at www.itsalldead.com. <laughs>